Well, I'm going to give you the word tonight, but I guess maybe some people don't know me. I'm Melissa Herring, and my husband and I pastor the church, but I'm also the youth pastor here, so I get to be with these kids all the time, which is, they're awesome. So here's what, you, what I want you to do. I want you to get your Bibles out or your, you know, device, and turn to Nehemiah, okay? So for those of you guys who are trying to go through the song, the Old Testament song, to try to remember where that's at, just go to Psalms and go left a little bit, okay? That's, you know, because you know, I mean, who's been reading Nehemiah this week, Okay. So some of you guys have those little handy tabs on the side, but turn to Nehemiah really quick, and we're going to work through it. You're going to be surprised how much Bible we get in tonight, okay? So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that um, you encounter us. Lord, we thank you that um, your promise is, is that you inhabit the praises of your people, and we felt you here tonight. We thank you that you're a personal and intimate God. And we thank you that you speak to us through your revealed word, the word of God. And it is sustenance to us. And it is direction for us. And it is a challenge. And sometimes it's a rebuke. And it reminds us of the things that are wrong. And it teaches us what, it, what to do right. That's why we read your word. It's important to know it. It's important to meditate on it. It's important to come together and discover more about our narrative in this and who you are and who we are in you, God. It stirs our hope and it gives us direction and it teaches us about this life that we're living. So we say yes, Lord, to what you're gonna teach us tonight. We're getting a lot of your word and we want it to go deep. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you guys know that we're in, I don't even know what week series of the race that we've been doing this summer. And by the way, it's not normally this hot in here. So um, something's up with the air conditioner, but right, I mean, you just got to deal with it. So we, uh, we came in from something the other night and it was like 82 degrees in our house, which is not normal. It's usually 70 all the time. And um, so guy comes out the next morning and it's this one little piece, okay, in the unit. And he said they had changed 150 this summer already, just this one AC company. I bet that's what's out. That's probably what's out out there. Same thing. It's a capacitor. I remembered it. So now I know things. So, all right. So, but we've been talking about the race and what's awesome is, is we've been getting some amazing feedback from you guys. We've been hearing the stories of inspiration. We've been hearing the challenge that you have felt the Lord has put on your life as you're entering in or maybe continuing on in this race of faith, right? Because that's what it is. And we've learned and we repeat it every week that what is the prize? It's the prize is not just at the end for him to say, hey, you get to come to heaven. And for him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But that every day you can go to sleep with that assurance and that affirmation of well done. You ran well today. Awesome. Keep it up, right? That's, that's available to us. So it's so cool. So we've been getting great testimonies, all right, of what you guys have been up to, what the Lord's been speaking to you. And I've, I've thought about this this past week. I thought inevitably, as soon as you grab a hold of something, inevitably, as soon as Ruby crossed that line at the Gateway Student Conference, okay? And you guys probably have had those moments in your own life. But as soon as you're like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna read the Bible every day, or I'm not, I'm not gonna miss church at all or I'm gonna lose 10 pounds or I'm gonna work out three times a week. As soon as you do that, as soon as you make a commitment in your heart to do it, in that moment you make the commitment and you're like, I'm invincible. I'm gonna do this, you know, it's before the, the work of the race, right? You're like, I can do this, right? I was texting with a friend the other night and we were talking about something and she said, I wanna get on the floor right now and do push-ups. But she's like, I'm not, I'm just gonna stay in bed. And I was like... That's awesome, you know, but we're just even in our conversations, like, I want to go do some push-ups, you know. But inevitably, whenever you are setting out on something, and especially in a race, there's something that you will encounter, and it's opposition. You're going to encounter opposition in your life. It's just, so that's the title of our, of our sermon tonight. I don't have a sermon in a sentence. I'm not as creative as Tony. I can't alliterate that many times in one sentence. So, but you will, fi- you will encounter opposition And notice I didn't necessarily say competition, although there is that in the world, okay? But in the race of faith, you will definitely encounter some opposition. So I want to quickly get through 13 mile markers that you will discover, or however I said it, is it up there? 13 mile markers found in the race of faith. 
There are 13 if you're taking notes. If for anyone who happens to be geeky about running, that's a half marathon right there, right? Isn't it 13.1 half marathon, somewhere in there? Okay, so I've ran some races before, not a, not a uh, marathon, not even a half marathon, but I'd done a 10K years back with my friend who happens to be here, Jennifer, and we trained while we were living in Dallas. And along the way of this 10K, you would see a mile, you'd see mile markers so that you could understand how far you were into the race. Because if you run any kind of distance, it's a blur, right? You're just like, how much longer do we have? So we're running around Fort Worth and the cow, it was Cowtown, so it's Fort Worth. And we're, we're heading back into the stockyards where the finish line was. And we had just, just come upon the six mile mark. And it was just a, you know, point what? Two left, what, four, six, whatever. What's left? What is a 10K? Six point two. So we're at the six point mark. We come around a curve. Okay. So I know like we're, it's, it's, you know, you start, you start, you're like, okay, I'm going to get my final kick. Come around the curve in the road and, and situated beautifully right out in that curve is about a 20 piece fully decked out mariachi band. I mean, they're playing their hearts out with their big old jumbo things. Okay. They are going for it. Now that's the equivalent of heavenly angels for me. I love Mexicans. I love Mexico. And so I just was like, that was the inspiration I needed right there at that mile marker to finish strong. They're just singing and they're in there. Miguel, you would have totally understood. Okay. Big old sombreros. And you know, that, that might've not have been the inspiration for most people, but for me, I got my kick right then, you know, and I was able to run it in an hour because of that mariachi band. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I sprinted like the last point too because of that, all right? There are mile markers in that, mile markers in this race of faith, and I wanna go over it. But I wanted to point out a scripture, and I think I might, I think I might have it up there, Galatians 5, 7. Paul's talking to the Galatians, and he says this, um, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? You were running this race good. You know, you had a good pace. You had a good stride. Who cut in? You were cut in on, Okay. Stop and let's think about. You were running a good pace. You were so determined and something, something cut in and it was the opposition. Okay, so I don't want you guys to be caught off guard. I don't want you guys to be um, surprised. That's what First uh, Peter 4.12 says in James 1.27. Don't be surprised when you encounter the opposition. Don't be shocked and caught off guard that when you're running this race of faith that things are gonna come in. But there are things that you can look for, okay, in the midst of this incredible race. So Nehemiah, I want to recap really quick, okay? So you guys know there was a captive time for Israel, and they were taken into captivity during the Babylon days, and they were there for many, many years, and think, think Daniel, think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But eventually there's a new king, and eventually captives are released, and they're able to go back to their homeland. They're, they're able to return back to Israel, okay? But Nehemiah had stayed. He was a good Jewish boy, but Nehemiah had stayed because he was a cupbearer for the king of that time, Artaxerxes. That's like the third highest position, I think, in the court. The cupbearer was the guy that was most trusted because he tasted everything before it went to the king to make sure that he wasn't gonna be poisoned. So he put his life on the line every day for the king. So he was a very trusted man. But word gets back to Nehemiah, okay? You guys listening? It gets back that the devastation is so bad in the city and there's so much oppression and there's so much poverty and he weeps. And it says that for four months, that's the span of time in there, for four months he wept and he prayed and he fasted because he was so heartbroken for his homeland. And most likely, Nehemiah wasn't even born there. Most likely, and it, very likely, Nehemiah was born in captivity. But he had this heart and this desire to see the land that God had given his people restored. And so fast forward, he gets a chance to go before the king. And the king asks him, why are you so sad? You're never sad like this. And he tells him the story about his homeland. And he says, and he builds the courage. And he asks, can I go back? And the king says, not only can you go back, then he starts granting all of Nehemiah's requests. So along the way back, he's getting to take the cedars of Lebanon 
and to rebuild the gates. And he's getting all the favor. And everywhere he went, he had a letter from the king that said, I need that to rebuild Jerusalem. If he saw something that he needed, he could take it back and take it with him. So he's in an entourage of people who are going to go. And Nehemiah gets there and nobody there, this is important, nobody there knows his plan to rebuild the walls. And so to not draw attention to himself, he goes at night with a few of his trusted friends to inspect the walls, and he was so discouraged by what he found. So I want you guys to turn to Nehemiah 2 really quick. Verse 16, he says, The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, or the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, once he figured out, once he knew, and it was solid, once he crossed that line, and he was up there, okay, and he knew, I know what what God's plan is. I know what God has called me to do. He says, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Verse 18, then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, everyone replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. You should underline that. So they began the good work. And that's where we are in our lives. That's where you're committed to be. Begin in that good work. Lord, I wanna do the good work. Ephesians 2.10, you had, you had, you, I'm your craftsmanship. You have good things planned out in advance for me. I wanna do those things. What is that good work? Verse 19 in chapter two says this, but, first word, but. They were doing the good word, work, but then there's a but. It's letting you know, not everything was going as planned here. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. Everyone say scoffed. They scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Listen, mile marker number one in your race of faith, the scoffers will come on the scene immediately. It is not the popular thing. When you've set something in your heart that you know the Lord has called you to do, there will be scoffing in your life. Most of us are not surrounded by perfectly Christian people in our lives, right? Some of you might be the only followers of Christ in your family, and maybe in your circle of friends. The scoffers will come on the scene, so you can count on that. Don't be caught unaware when people start scoffing, all right? Then chapter three, everybody gets their game on. I wish I could read it because it's just so rich, okay? But everybody's getting their game on. Everybody comes from all over, different officials, different leaders, priests. The silversmiths come. The perfume makers come. The goldsmiths come. It even says this one man and his daughters come. All right? He's like, come on, girls. We're going to go show them how to build this wall. So a man and his daughters come out there to help on this section of the wall. And they break it down into these sections, and they want to get them built up. All right? Everyone gets their game on. But let's look at chapter 4. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews. Everyone say mocked. A little different word. Saying in front of his officials, of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think They can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that. Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Mile marker number two, the mockers will hurl their insults. You can count on it. The minute you start getting busy 
and you get your game on in this race of faith, the minute it starts to look a little bit serious, the mocking will come. And here's the thing. This is why mocking is so effective. And this is why most people drop out of their race right here. Just by people scoffing and mocking. Just because somebody's attitude, rolled eyes, passive aggressive texts and posts. Just because somebody didn't believe in what you were doing, thought it was stupid. But this is why mocking is so effective. This is why the lies of the enemy are so effective. Because you know what he likes to do? He likes to use a little bit of truth to bait you so you'll believe the whole lie. It was true. It was true that they were going to have to reuse the rubble. It was true that by all accounts and appearances that they didn't have what they needed at that point to build it. It's true. It's a silversmith and a perfume maker and a goldsmith and a man and his daughters were out building the wall. They weren't skilled. They weren't trained for this. And so mocking hurts when people mock what you believe It hurts because it causes you to question your purpose. It causes you to second guess what God really showed you. You begin to second guess it, don't you? Teenagers, I need you looking up here. You begin to second guess what the Lord is speaking to you based on what the scoffers and the mockers are saying. Verse four, then I prayed, hear us, O God. For we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Mile marker number three. You are given the opportunity to pray and to pray with some attitude. Right there in that moment, in this race of faith, the minute you feel the scoffing, the minute you feel the mocking, what are you supposed to do? You seize your opportunity to pray. But you don't just pray, oh God, make the mocker stop. Do you see what he prayed? He prayed with some attitude. I have never prayed that prayer in my entire life. I'd been studying the Psalms a couple of of, uh, months back and I was completely shocked when I would read when they would say, smite our enemies, kill them, torture them, pull out their fingernails, you know, stuff like that. And I, I'm just a merciful person, so it's really hard for me to pray that, you know, because I don't necessarily have any tangible physical enemies. But I started thinking about our real enemy, the real adversary, the one who's prowling, sniffing around, the strategic enemy of our lives. And suddenly that prayer I'm praying it. And suddenly, I'm gonna pray with some attitude. Lord, silence that. Silence the voice of the enemy. Shut that thing down. Take your opportunity to pray. You've gotta take the opportunity in that moment to pray. If you don't, because you're already starting to second guess, you're already starting to think, this is harder than I thought. You are gonna go back to school. You're gonna go back to school and you're gonna be like, wanting to live this thing out. You're wanting to take what you've learned this summer and then there are gonna be people who will scoff, who will mock and that's your opportunity right there. You're gonna go to work, you're gonna go to a family reunion and you will have people, you will encounter people who won't believe what you believe, especially when you believe the word over the lies of our culture. You will get mocked for that. So you pray, you take the opportunity to pray and pray with some attitude, all right? None of these feeble prayers. Verse six, at last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. People got in there and they worked with enthusiasm. Mile marker number four, okay? You can look for this, it will be there. Your fans will come out of the woodwork. There will be people that will cheer you on and they might even get up underneath you and like want to help you and get enthusiastic about the good work. And they're like, yeah, we're going to pray. We're going to call each other every morning at six o'clock before school and pray with each other. Or yeah, I'm going to hold you accountable on that, bro. Every time, every time. 
I'm gonna hold you accountable. And there will be fans. Your fans will come out and they might serve with some enthusiasm. You can count on that, that there will be people there. Because here's the thing. Passion breeds passion. People get excited. When they see somebody going for it, they're inspired. We were meant to be inspired by those things around us. When we see somebody doing awesome things and going for it, you're like, I can do that. Katura and I did a sprint triathlon a few years back and um, I had a baby. I don't know what I was thinking, but anyway, you have to write your name. I mean, your uh, age on your calf muscle. Okay. So that, um, I don't know why it's so, it's so uh, offensive. You know, you got to put your, your age down there. So I'm like, I don't even know what mile I'm on, on the bike because I was on a, on a mountain bike and actually not on a road bike. I don't know if anybody's ever done a sprint triathlon in a, on a mountain bike, but I did because that was the only bike I had. And I'm just, I'm just struggling. Okay. And this lady probably, I know for sure, 69 years old, because it's written on her calf muscle, <laughs> flies past me. Fly, and I was like, oh no. Oh no. I was inspired by her good work, okay? I was like, that's gonna be me at 69 years old, all right? I'm gonna do that. Actually, you know, I gave that up. I'm, not really, I'm really not. I'm not gonna be doing sprint triathlons at 69 years old. I'm not doing it. All right, let's look at verse seven. Where am I? What point am I even on? Oh, five. I'm on point five. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the walls of Jerusalem were being repaired, when they heard that their mocking and scoffing didn't work, when they stayed strong in spite of people's opposition, when they heard this, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Mile marker number five, your opposition decides to take some action. When you get serious, the heat is on. There is nothing more intimidating to the enemy than someone who's not worried about the mockers. It's someone who doesn't care what other people are thinking. Let me tell you, he ups his game in that, at that point. And that can come and look in different ways. The way he can bring it, the way that he can take action against you. Can use situations in your life to feel so heavy. He can use betrayal, he can use rejection. He can use a parent's divorce. He could use a physical illness, emotional distress. He could use these things in your life to try to take you out of the race. He gets super creative. Sometimes he gets sloppy. There's a lot of times in my life I'm like, that was sloppy work of the enemy. That was just sloppy. Like he sent, he sent like a rookie, a rookie demon onto that one. If you've read Screw Tape Letters, it's like, man, what a rookie. I saw that one coming a mile away. You're like, good try. But I tell you what, this week, for me personally, I felt the artillery. There was big guns out on this one. He didn't send a rookie. There was no amateurs after me this week. The opposition was so real. It was one of the most debilitating weeks of my life, resulting in like strep throat that I've like never had. I'm like, what? Trying to silence me literally. You get that? I had this word. The Lord gave me this word a week ago, over a week ago. I mean, like, and I'm pushing through and I got friends praying for me and people are praying the word over me and my friend's coming over and we're doing this thing. But I'm telling you, I got hit so hard. I mean, to the point of physical illness in that. And I had to stop in that moment and go, that's a worthy adversary right there. Did not see that coming. There will be times in this race of faith that he will up his game. There are times it's sloppy and there are times that you're picking yourself up and you're like, by the grace of God, I got through that. That will happen on the race of faith. All right, verse nine. You guys tracking along? Backing up, they all made the plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. It's nothing like confusion 
That, that tactic of the enemy and strategy of the enemy is very effective to make you feel confused, to make you second guess and question what in the world is going on around me. He likes to use it, but look at what they did. Verse nine, but we prayed to our God. And, circle that right there, the word and. But we prayed to our God and. So it's like, just didn't just pray. And guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Mile marker number six, grab your chance to pray some more and take action yourself. Okay, sometimes the Lord is like, hey, I'm gonna need you to partner with me on this. I'm gonna need you, first of all, take the opportunity to pray. So often in those times, so often we want to look for anything else to comfort us, anyone else to try to talk us out of this when sometimes, Lord, I just need you to pray and I need you to partner right here. I need you to partner with me. I need you to take some action. There's some responsibility that you have in this race of faith right here, okay? Guard the city not day and night to protect yourselves. Verse 10, then the people of Judah began to complain. Anybody have any thoughts about what the next mile marker could be? I'm gonna keep reading. The workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Mile marker number seven, some of your fans will grow weary and try to slow you down. God does put people in our lives to encourage us and to build us up. But just like Ruby's testimony fit perfectly in this, are there people in your life, are there situations in your life where the negative people, the naysayers, or the lazy are setting your pace? The people who are supposed to be your fans suddenly get weary and get tired and they're struggling with something and they're dealing with something and they're working through something and they're getting tired and that's their race and we can encourage them. But their negativity, their struggle, their difficulty, their complaining should not affect your pace. In fact, you don't run with the pack in that moment. Nehemiah didn't. He didn't run with the pack. He went on ahead. He kept the pace that he was supposed to keep. Looking at verse 13. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest part of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows, Mile marker number eight. You got to get strategic. You got a race to run. He said, so I took that in. I saw. I heard. I recognized. There's some validity to the things that they're saying. But that doesn't mean I stop. That doesn't mean that I go a different direction. That just means I get strategic. That just means that I keep this pace and I run this race and I do the very thing that God called me to do. And what does that strategy look like? I think for some people, you need accountability. I feel like that is like a bell we are ringing all the time up here. Accountability for things you're like, man, I will hit this place in my race. I will be doing good, striving, doing this thing. And then, bam, something will happen. Something, somebody says something. You encounter something. A temptation hits. And some of you guys, the best strategy for your life will be getting real, sound, consistent accountability in your life. Someone who's saying, hey, what's up with that? Hey, don't hide. Hey, don't drop out. 
Don't fall for that again. Push through it. Get some strategy. For some of you guys, it's a prayer group. For some of you guys, it's, your, it's a life group. Some of you guys have been um, dilly-dallying and haven't decided if you're gonna get in a life group. You need to get in a life group. That's, that could be a strategic move for your life to get surrounded in a smaller pocket of people and get that weekly inpouring and outpouring. So you gotta get strategic, all right? That's mile marker number eight. Verse 14. Then as I looked over the situation, I love that. Nehemiah was not trying to hide his head in the sand. He wasn't acting like it didn't exist. He really, he took in the reality of the situation. He wasn't a Pollyanna. He's like, so I looked over the situation. I took it in, I saw, figured out what's true, what's right in this. What's a real threat? What's discouragement? What's negativity? I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Mile marker number nine. And this is probably like every other mile, if we're honest. Give yourself and anyone else who will listen a pep talk. Anyone else, just pep them up. Get that pep talk going. Look at what he did. He's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. I see. I see what's going on. Okay. But let's remember the Lord. Let's remember what he's called us to do. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy. That We got a God who's great and glorious. But if that's not enough for you, listen. If it's not enough to remember that God's called you to this, therefore he will equip you for this. If that's not enough, remember your sons and your daughters. Remember your wives and your husbands. Remember them. In week one, Joe Matthews said, uh, know your why. Why are you doing this? Well, number one, you do this as unto the Lord because he's called you to do. But number two, there's more on the line than just you. There's more at stake than just your life. You could impact the lives of thousands. Starting in your own home. Moms and dads, remember. Remember why you stay strong. Remember why you stay faithful. Remember why you model consistency. Remember why you do this. Give yourself that pep talk and anybody else who will listen. Remember your why. Verse 16. Let me do 15. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. We just got back to business right there. Verse 16, but from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load, as in doing the work, and on one hand, they were holding a weapon. You guys getting the picture? On one hand, they're like, I'm holding this, I'm fixing, I got the load. Yeah, I got this side of this big old uh, boulder. But over here, I got my, my, my uh, sword ready, or maybe already drawn. Ain't nobody getting through. They stayed incredibly focused. Verse 18, all the builders had a sword belted to their side. All of them. Anyone in the race has a sword on their side. Anyone in this race of faith needs a sword. You gotta be equipped. You gotta be outfitted. You need this. And it says, the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Verse 10, I mean, mile marker number 10, find your stride. You gotta find your stride. It's at times like this, you're like, I gotta find my stride. Let me give you the definition of finding your stride. To become confident at something you had recently started. To do something confidently and well. To find a confidence again. Get your confidence back on. You were running so well, who cut in on you? Get your confidence back. Find that stride. Like, you know, I was doing good. I was paced pretty good. And then, bam, something hit. Find your stride. 
They were confident putting people around that wall, having that sword that put confidence in their hands. Let me tell you, nothing will help you find your stride better than the word of God. The shield, I mean the sword of the spirit. Nothing, nothing, nothing will help you find the confidence that you need to to hold your stride, to keep that pace in life like the sword of the spirit. This is it. You gotta know it and you need to know how to use it. It's essential in this race, all right? Verse 19. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all of the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. I want you guys to get the picture. How many of you guys have been to Jerusalem? Just raise your hand. You, you go in and out of gates. The, the team that went three years ago, we walked up on the wall. Y'all remember that? We're up on the wall, walking, looking down, and it's like, is it, are we having this moment? The walls that David walked on, these big ramparts. It's just so cool. What is that part of the wall? Not that actual wall, but that part of the city. It's huge. But in order to get it built, everybody had to go to their place. Everybody had to go to the section that they were supposed to be in. They didn't just work on it, you know, 4,000 people at once in the same section. They spread those people out. They were spread out all over the city repairing those walls. But because of that, because they were spread out, that made them susceptible to the enemy. That made them susceptible to attack. And it made me think of us. It made me think of you. How we, day in, day out, we're running our race. We're on our own. We stand before the Lord on our own, don't we? We're not gonna get up there and you teenagers aren't gonna be hiding behind your parents and being like, they didn't tell me. You're not gonna get up there as a wife and say, but he didn't lead me well. You're not gonna get to get up there and say, well, as as a man, well, I just emotionally did not engage. No, you will get up there And you will stand before the Lord and you'll give an account for the work that you've been called to do. You do stand alone on those days and in your work. But here's the thing. Remember, we learned this at Gateway Student Conference. There are some things that you got to do on your your own. There are certain things, very individual, custom-made for you. Catherine, there are things you will be doing. No one else can fulfill that stuff that God called you to do, a work God called you to do. And we're spread out throughout the week, right? Because we don't all live together. I'm glad. (laughs) I kind of used to years ago, thought a commune would be fun, and now I don't. I don't. I'm over it. But here's the thing. He said, when they sound the alarm, come running to that sound. It made me think of the church bells. And they'd ring those church bells and people out plowing or rather out doing something and they're like, something's happening in town. And they get to the bell, to the church and it lets them know, they called everybody together. First of all, let me tell you this. I think, I am so thirsty and I've had water this whole time. Just chill for a second. Did I even give the point to this yet? I didn't. Are we on number 11? 10? No, no, no. Keep going. 11. Know when to refresh and run for cover. He's like, know when you need to come in, regroup, get with your people. Know when to refresh and when to recover. You know, the ultimate refreshing that God wrote into the order of creation predates the law is Sabbath. I mean, it predates the law. Like it's, I mean, it's in the law, but it predates it. It's written into our story. It's written into creation. Sabbath rest, we just act like that ain't even one of the commandments. And the Lord knew the pace that we would keep. And the Lord knew that we would need to rest from the work on the wall. So he wrote Sabbath into our very being. We need it. Some of you guys needed that word tonight. You need to take Sabbath. You need to set a 24-hour period aside in your work week. I know that it's different. People work weekends and they work nights and days, but there needs to be a designated time that you're like, we've unplugged. We ain't going to nothing. We're just staying home. 
I'm resting. See what Sabbath looks like for you. But here's the other thing. Here's what I think that represents. When that bell rings or when they blow that trumpet, it's church. It's get yourself to church. Church is on the Sabbath. You guys do realize that, right? It's like, come on, come together and let's remember together. We're supposed to be resting. But coming together and remember, I gotta get refreshed because this next week I'm back out on the wall. I need to come and be with people and see that I'm not alone. I need to come and hear what the pastor studied and prepared all week long on my behalf. I need to come get fed and I need to come and get refreshed. It's, it's essential to us. It makes me wish they still had church bells and that you could ring them. Anytime I'm at Broadway in the loop and those bells, at the, I, I roll down my windows because I'm like, oh, that is so, I love that. There's just something so biblical So if you've had a hard week, get to church. Come get refreshed and then rest. Come get here. Let the Spirit of God, you know, in the presence of the Lord are times of refreshing. And when we're all together, listen, we were there with 4,300 other youth, teenagers. There is nothing like it. There is nothing like it. You can think you were one in a sea of millions of people thinking you might be the only one who's passionate about the Lord. And you get in that setting, like this conference, that was, that's a bell ringing moment. Like, come to the conference. Come on, kids, hurry. Run in, get refreshed. And you look around and you're like, I'm not alone in this. There are 4,300 other kids in here that are passionate about Jesus that are gonna go back to their school that have crossed that line. Those kids were sprinting down to get to that altar. They wanted to cross that line. They drew, they drew that line and they went there. It was so awesome. But there's one other thing, you guys, and this is Soma ringing the bell, and I'm gonna put a plug out there for this, encounter services. That is a ringing of the bell right there. It is get in here, the enemy is near. Wednesday night is our first, well, we've been having encounters for years, but it'll be our first one kicking off every month because we felt as a leadership Got to bring the church bells. It's too much happening in our world. There's too much. You feel it closing in. And as shepherds and as leaders, we're like, we want to get our people in. Run to the sound. We need to get our people in. We need to gather. We need to remind them. Because sometimes you need to be refreshed, and sometimes you just got to run for cover. You know? You're like, the enemy's been on me this week. I'm coming for cover. I'm going to be protected and hidden in the, in the shadow of his wings. It's awesome, you guys. Come to church, rest, come to church, come to encounter. And you know what? Anything else that someone's planned for you, Bible studies, your life group leaders, let me tell you, raise your hand if you host a life group in your home or come up to the church every week. Raise, raise them high. Y'all look around, look around. Show up to your life group because you know what they've done? They've been preparing for you. They got their house clean. That's a big deal. If you cleaned your house and nobody showed up, you'd be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Next time, I just won't even clean it. They're going to sit on pee on the toilet. <laughs> Come to life group. People have prepared this for you. That would be like if you had prepared this meal for someone, and they're like, yeah, I don't want to come eat. And you're like, dude, I killed the fattened calf. Go to the things, run for the cover, run for the refreshing. Okay, look at verse 20. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, bracket this, underline it, highlight it, put clouds around it. Then, say then, then our God will fight for us. Mile marker number 12, know who fights your battles. This is essential to our faith to understand who's actually fighting for you. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord your God, he fights for you. Do you know what's so incredible about the Lord? Somebody needs to hear this tonight. We're gonna highlight it at the closing, but somebody needs to hear this. Did you know the Lord your God never loses? He never, ever, ever, ever the Alpha and the Omega from the beginning to the end has never, ever lost a battle. 
He is invincible. That's what one of those Psalms say. He's completely victorious. And some of you guys have been in the battle of your life. And you know what? This week I had, I had a moment that I was like, I texted some covenant friends of mine and I said, maybe the hardest week I've ever been through in my entire life. I need prayer. I need covering. Some of you guys are going through the hardest thing you've ever gone through. And you need to know tonight that the Lord went to the battle before you ever even realized it. He's won it on your behalf. Everything you need to win this fight that you're in, he's done. But the word then is very important in that equation. It implies you need to appropriate that. You need to come up underneath it. Say, I will come under the battle flag, the banner. You know, they would have these standards and these big banners that would be waving when they would go into the battle. You know, the Lord's is love. That's his battle flag. And did you know he always wins? But you have to come and join that, run into that battle with him. Be like, he's the victory. He's who truly fights my battle for me. We might get somewhere with some behavior modification. We might, we might gain some ground, but in the end, it's the Lord who wins it for us, right? When we're honest, we recognize, he did this for me. He equipped me to do this. The strength is his. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's given me everything I need for life and godliness. Through his divine power, I, I, I'm able to even do any of it because he's won the victory. All right, verse 21, we're going to finish up. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. Verse 23, during that time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me. None of us ever took off our clothes. This is not about nudity. I know what you're thinking. I saw y'all's thought bubbles. Boop, 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 boop. Because if they took off their clothes, that meant they weren't ready. If they took off their clothes, it meant they were going to just stay in for the night. They kept their clothes on. How many of you guys, whenever a tornado is coming through or you know that it's under a, a, you're under a siren, you're like, I need to be dressed. You know what I mean? You're like, okay. or you're like, I think I'm going to sleep with shoes on. <laughs> Come on, you know it. Cliff, do you sleep with shoes on? Okay. I knew you'd have my back. I don't necessarily, I just keep them close, all right? They just knew the threat was so real. They knew the danger was imminent. And they're like, we never took our clothes off. We stayed completely prepared. It goes on to say, we carried our weapons with us at all times, even for when we went for water. They carried their weapon with us. They're like, hey, I'm gonna go to the water cooler. I gotta go get a drink. You're off, you're off duty. When you go get a drink, you're like, okay, they're covering it for me. I'm going to go get a drink of water. I'm going to go take a breather. And, but they're like, with their sword. Whole time. You get the visual of that? Mile marker number 13. Never let your guard down. Ever. Ever. You keep it fortified. You keep your life fortified. Don't ever give yourself an excuse or permission to stop the race. And we do that. We do that with our diets. We do it with our exercise. We do it with our Bible study and our quiet time and our prayer. Boy, we write in these little permissions, don't we, in our life? We give ourselves permission. Well, if it gets to this point or if this happens or whatever, we're like, but I'll just take a little breather. And most of the time, those little breathers that we take, 
the permission that we gave ourselves to go off the reservation for a little bit, very hard to recover from them. It's very hard. And usually, the accuser comes along and says, oh yeah, well you said you crossed that line. Oh yeah, well you had made a commitment to the Lord and you didn't keep it. Never let your guard down. You keep it up. This is real. Did you know in this life, as image bearers, and we learned about this at the end of Ephesians. You guys listen to me. There's no neutrality in the spiritual warfare. There's no Switzerland. You're either fighting it or you're captive. You don't get to play this neutral. I don't really want to be on guard. No, it said all, everyone. They couldn't even go get a drink without being like, no, I take my enemy serious. I take my call serious. I take what God's called me to do and my destiny and his purpose for me. I take it serious. I'm not gonna let my guard down. I'm not gonna give myself permission. I'm just gonna coast this one out. 13 things you can look for. There's probably so many more. Would you guys stand with me? We're inviting the worship team to come back up. They're gonna play a song. Don't be distracted. Worship team, do it it quietly. When I was praying earlier for you guys, I was praying for this. The Lord brought Habakkuk 319 to my mind. So it's not, on, I don't, unless Tony was really intuitive, I don't think he knows it's up there. I want to read this over you. It's from the Amplified Version, so phenomenal. But listen to this. The Lord God is my strength, my source of courage, my invincible army. He has made my feet steady and sure like hinds feet and makes me walk forward with spiritual confidence on my high places of challenge and responsibility. I'm gonna read it one more time because that needs to soak in. If you need to close your eyes and let me just even speak this over you. The Lord is your strength. He is your source of courage. He is your invincible army. He has made your feet steady and sure like hinds feet. He makes you walk forward with spiritual confidence on your high places of challenge and responsibility. Lord, the reality is, and none of us are naive to it, some days are just hard. And there will be scoffers and there will be mockers and the enemy will up his game. But Lord, you're who fights for us. And we commit right now in our hearts, Lord, that in this race of faith, that we will take the opportunities when people are negative or when people are slowing down and they're not as fervent about their faith as they were before, God, we will, we will take that opportunity to pray and to find our stride. We will take opportunities when we feel like that we have been hit hard, Lord, to fortify, to get strategic, to ask for help, to reach out, to reach up to you. Lord, we thank you that we're not alone, but we do have a job to do that we have to get done in you, Lord, and thank you for your grace to do it. Thank you for the confidence that we have. Lord, for anyone in this room who just needs to hit their stride again, they need to go back to the things they knew that they were supposed to be doing. Lord, we thank you and celebrate right now you are a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. There are 365 days. That means 365 new chances every day, every day. We can start fresh. We can start fresh in this moment. Lord, for people who have gotten, for lack of a better word, lazy in their faith and in their prayer life and reading the Bible, Lord, I pray they would be inspired tonight to run this race well, to pick that sword back up, get to practicing, get to using it again. 
Lord, we thank you that you ring the bells, you sound the alarms, and we have a safe place to run to. Thank you that you are ultimately our refuge and our strength, God. Thank you that you've given us a church that we can run to, that'll pray for us. And God, we don't just pray for ourselves, we pray for the nations. We pray for our city. We pray for our government. We, we, up, we lift up Israel in the Middle East, God. We pray for our missionaries and the, and the martyrs around the world who are suffering and dying for the gospel. What an opportunity, what a privilege, God, to get to run and be refreshed. I pray everyone would mark their calendars and keep the date. And wouldn't make our, we wouldn't make excuses any longer, God. We'd run this race and we'd run it well because, Lord, we want to hear every day, well done, well done. You rocked it today. You rocked it today. Thank you, God, that you pick us back up. You put us back on the path. You nurse our wounds. You tend to us. You nurse us back to health. And you say, get back in there. Run this race. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.